Well, every six months, my wife and I have the same conversation about our TV. Now, our TV, uh, there's only one of them. It's in the basement. There's two important things that you need to know about this TV in order for this story to make sense, all right? So number one, um, this TV uh, in our basement, the only one that we have, number one, was given to me by my parents a long time ago, about 11 years ago. And then the second thing you need to know is that it is 32 inches big. All right, this is our TV. This, you, you're tracking so far. And so about once every six months, we have this conversation. Maybe it's a fight. It's hard to say. But we have this conversation about our TV. And it usually starts with me. I figured this is a reasonable kind of starter. I say this to her, to my wife, Chantel, lovely woman. Uh, I say, I think we should get a new TV. No problem except she has a response. And the response is one word, and I haven't been able to figure out how to get past it. The word is a simple question, and she asks why. So I want to walk you through, because every six months I try something a little bit different, walk you through what I've tried and why it's not working. Okay, so first thing is I say because the one we have is old, 11 years old. And she says, what's wrong with things getting older? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing is wrong with things getting older. We love things getting older in our house. They will stay around as long as we want. Things getting older is totally fine. That never worked. Okay, second thing, because there are better ones out there, better TVs. I mean, the technology's obviously changed. Um, they're a little bit larger now. Um, they're a little bit cheaper even. Like, like their TVs are considerably different. There's better ones out there. And, and she would simply ask this question, um, well, is the one that we have broken? No, it's, it's, not, it's not broken. It's just... Okay, so number three, let's try number three, because I'd be happier with a different one. Like, just honestly, I'm really convinced that I would just be happier with a different one, which I feel like is a reasonable thing, to just be happier with something that's new. And yet her response is, why can't we be happy with the things that we have? Great line, Chantel, thank you so much. (laughs) I think it's something about, like, deep inside of me, like, I just, I honestly have this desire for a new thing, for a new TV. And I'm guessing that you probably do too. But more on that in a minute. I want to explain and just introduce myself. Um, My name is Jeremy. Uh, I've been a pastor for about 10 years. I was a pastor here, uh, as was mentioned. And my cheering crowd is louder than ever. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Was not digging for that, but it's much appreciated. That's awesome. And clapping at home too. Thank you for the standing ovation there. That's so wonderful. You guys are so generous. Um, Cheers in the chat. Wonderful. Um, But yeah, I grew up here actually. So before I was a pastor here, I actually grew up at this church. Uh, I was a kid. Some of you were my small group leaders. I apologize. Uh, A lot of you taught me Sunday school which was incredible. And, and just, to, just to make mention, in case you're here and you're, you're somewhat new to this place or this church or even this community, you should know this is a really special place. I know a lot of people that, um, that when they grow up in church, they have you know, unique stories or different kinds of stories. You just need to know my story is that I had an incredible church experience as a kid. I loved my time here. I learned so much. I was mentored so well. And a lot of who I became was because of the investment of people in this place. So if you're new, if you're newer to this spot, just know you're surrounded by some of the most incredible people I think Moncton and even the world has to offer. So it's a great spot. Now, a few things have changed since I was last here on staff. I got married, as mentioned, uh, to to Chantel 
Again, love her. She's wonderful. And we now have three kids, which is a lot. Um, and they're small, and it's, it's a lot. Um, so Riker, Archer, and then how's that for a stink eye from Ember? Um, I don't know if that goes away at some point, but um, we'll figure that out. So uh, she's our girl, and uh, I'm terrified. So this is our family, and uh, we're just loving being back here in the Moncton region. We moved here about a year ago. We, I was working at a church just north of Toronto. Loved it there, but it's so cool to be back in New Brunswick. Now, back to the new things, because for you, um, you know, you're sitting here, maybe the new TV thing, like, I want a new TV. Maybe you've said that, and you're like, yeah, I'm with you, Jeremy. I get the emotions of that. Uh, I, you know, I'm cheering for you. Thank you, and praying for me. Thank you. appreciate that. But if you don't feel like, a, like an affinity to the new TV desire, all you need to do to kind of walk along this, this message with me is to instead fill it in with a different kind of blank answer, right? Because there's something in your life that you wish was new. There's something that you wish you could um, change. And so for you, you know, it might be that I just want a new phone. You've got one in your pocket, but I want a new phone. Maybe instead of a new phone, you want a new kitchen. That's your thing. You fill in the blank. I would love a new kitchen. I've got a Pinterest board with what that new kitchen is going to look like. Maybe I want a whole new house. That's for some of you, that's a thing. Uh, maybe you want a brand new uh, boyfriend, and, and hopefully the old one isn't sitting next to you, but you know, that would be the thing, and you would just, it would just make you happy. Uh, so a new boyfriend, so maybe that's that. Maybe you want a new country. You know, some people move here because this is the place that they're gonna feel like, oh, things finally changed for me, or maybe that you move away from this place and think there's a different place that will be just for me. I want a new country, or maybe for you, it's, I just want a new job. Just a new job and everything will line up into place. Or maybe I want a new car. Or maybe even I want a new set of golf clubs. I don't know why. I don't understand that one. But for some of you, that's your thing. And so you fill in the blank with whatever you want new, and you can kind of track along. Because if I asked you about your new thing, you would probably answer similar to how I did. If I asked you why, you would say, well, I want my new thing because the one that I have is old. You know, I have this car, but it's just it's an old clunker. Like, it, it's, it's, it's worked for me okay, but it's got the old car smell. And have you smelled a new car? Like, they smell amazing. And so I want something new. I've got an old one. Because maybe there are better ones out there. Like, you've got the phone, but it's last year's model. They've already upgraded it, and now yours just doesn't work. It's how it, I think they build it into the iOS when they put out a new one. Like, your old one just goes slower. You know what I'm talking about. Um, maybe number three, I'd just be happier with a different one. Like if we're honest, once the renovations happen in the house, then finally, finally, I will be at peace and that will be the end of it. Well, it's kind of hard to understand. Like what is that, what is that feeling? Like where does that actually come from? Because it's something that is, you know, really across the board, part of our human experience. You've had it, I've had it. And trying to understand what it is, like it's a little bit like it's a little bit of a longing, like there's something there where it's just like I, I wish or hope for something. It's, it's kind of like a desire where you might say like I, I, it's, it's deep inside and, and, I, and I do really want it. It's, it's kind of special. And, and, then, and then, you know, interestingly enough, it's kind of like an appetite as well. That's a different explanation. Um, maybe you haven't thought about this before, but, but an appetite is something that never is fully satisfied. And our longing for new things is, is pretty similar actually. Like you think about uh, the times that you get the new thing and, and it kind of quenches that thirst for a second, but, but like an appetite, you get hungry again and you're searching for something else new and you've got the drawer full of old phones to prove it, right? You remember Blackberries? I've got a bunch of them. And so uh, you can have them. So the idea of having new things and that it would satisfy, we know is just not 
quite the case. And it's an experience that you've had that I've had, but that is, again, very, very universal. In fact, maybe you've seen this quote before, but um, Jim Carrey, uh, a very famous actor, has said this uh, and has been quoted in a few places. So the internet, I'm guessing, is 95% correct on this one. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Here's a guy who honestly has got the riches and the fame to buy all the new things, and yet there's something not quite there. There's something that is still unsatisfactory about that experience. Um, other poets have written um, something very similar. When I'm driving in my car and a man comes on the radio, he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination I can't get no satisfaction. Is anybody old here? No. Um, Sorry. We like old things. They're wonderful. I can't get no satisfaction. Nobody's with me. Online, again, thank you for cheering for that and laughing at that joke. Again, super appreciate it. You guys are with me. Brilliant. Um, But I can't get no satisfaction. This is a common experience that we have in our world. And if we tried to sum it up of like, okay, what is this? What is this that we continually experience? What is this thing that kind of goes with us throughout our life, changes a bit? Like when you're a teenager, it expresses itself a little bit differently. We got lots of teenagers here in the room and, and you know, watching. When you, when you uh, switch into like young adult years, uh, some of the new things that you chase are a little bit different. You know, you get, head into like your adult years, again, a little bit different in your senior years. It tweaks, but there's still this desire for new things. And if I had to sum it up, I'd sum it up this way. Your new attractions are honestly just distractions without at least lasting satisfaction, if we're honest. And, and you hopefully, I think, agree with me that they may satisfy in the moment, but they don't last. And so what is that? Like, where does that come from? And, and, and how do you explain that? And why is that the case? And is there any way we can solve it? That's kind of our, our challenge here today. So why can't you actually get satisfaction? I've got three reasons that might help explain it for you so we can learn a little bit of something together here. Um, the Diderot effect. Uh, Diderot was a French philosopher, uh, wrote about 150, 200 years ago. And uh, there's this effect that's named after him. It's kind of a social phenomenon that they've been exploring over the last like 40 years, which, which basically explains that your, your stuff, your life, your things, they kind of live in this, this kind of loose equilibrium. Like everything kind of fits. And when you enter and put a brand new thing into that equilibrium, it disrupts it. And then you have to start changing things to, to try to match the new thing. So just again, practically speaking, because that is a little bit heady, it is, you know, I replace my TV in my basement And then we probably should upgrade the sound system, right? Because it's a nice new TV and and we need the new sound system. And then once that happens, it's like, well, I probably would enjoy a nicer like TV cabinet thing, you know, and so you had to drive down to Ikea and Halifax and you get the nice, the cabinet and that will be great. And then after that happens, you're like, well, that side of the living room is beautiful and this side is not. And so now we have to get the new furniture, maybe rip up the carpet. And so there's this spiral effect of consumption that happens, and this is called the, the Diderot effect. This has happened in your life sometimes, and if you let it run wild, it's very, very dangerous. Um, Diderot is the one who, who wrote that. Uh, another reason that we can't get dissatisfaction is actually with your brain chemistry. So dopamine and novelty is something really interesting that you can spend a lot of time on the internet researching, which I did. Um, a lot of PubMed med articles and uh, a lot of research on rats. 
So, uh, but what happens is, my understanding, um, again, not a, a neuroscientist, go figure, um, but is there's, a, uh, there's a, 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 this neurotransmitter called dopamine that gets released when we experience new things. So you have a novel experience, and there's kind of this rush of dopamine, which is affiliated with things like pleasure and motivation and drive, and then that new thing has given you that experience, and so then your body craves that feeling, that dopamine again a second time. But if you go back to the same thing and do it a second time, it doesn't give you the same amount of dopamine as before. So then you search for the bigger high, you search for more of whatever you were chasing, and, uh, and that sends you on this pursuit of the new things, but again, not fully satisfying you along the way. Now, there's dangerous examples of that, obviously with like drug use and substance abuse. Um, I like to think about it as why I only like going go-karting once a year, um, because after you go go-karting once, and it's really, really fun, the second time around, it just doesn't seem as exciting. So that's my thing about go-karting. Okay, number three, your de desire for all things new, and this is actually where we're gonna camp out a lot, and hopefully this will be helpful. Your desire for all things new is actually spiritual. It's not material. Your desire for all things new, interestingly enough, is seated in something dramatically different than just the things. And, and we know this because this issue isn't actually a current day issue. This has been a, a challenge for people all throughout the centuries. In fact, about 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote a letter to a church in Corinth and explained a little bit about this same type of phenomenon. Now, just for a little bit of explanation, if this can be helpful for you, um, Paul is a New Testament uh, character who we read a lot of throughout uh, the pages of our scriptures. So Paul was uh, somebody who persecuted the church early on. So after Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected, uh, there was this new movement that were following Jesus. They were the way, you know, the Christians, the early church. And Paul was actually a religious figure that was very skeptical of this new, what he would have thought is kind of like a cult movement. And so he persecuted them quite a bit. But then he had this dramatic conversion experience where he realized that Jesus actually was who he said he was, and Paul turned his life over and decided to follow Jesus. And as a result, traveled around the Mediterranean Rim and planted churches all throughout his world at that time. And one of the churches that he invested heavily in is in Corinth. Now, Corinth, and this is where we get the letter um, First and Second Corinthians in your scriptures. Um, Corinth, interestingly enough, um, wasn't always a city. In fact, there was a season where um, nobody kind of lived there. And then the Romans came in and they colonized the area and kind of planted a new community in Corinth. And it was really strategic because Corinth is close to the ocean. So in terms of commerce and trade, there's a lot of benefits to being right there. And then when you plan something new, like a, like a community or a city, you need people to actually populate it. And so from all around the area, people moved into Corinth to start a new life and actually chase kind of like the Roman dream, which is like the American dream, just older. And so they would come in and, and expect that they could actually um, get rich or famous or find honor or satisfaction um, because in that particular area, there was a lot more upward mobility than in other parts of the empire because it was so new. So they would rush in and they would, they would chase after, and it kind of created this really intense culture that valued stuff as a sign of significance and as a sign of satisfaction. 
And they, they would view that as something that, you know, was worth chasing after because it was their number one goal for, for being there. And, and early century writers would actually talk about Corinth being um, extremely divided between the ultra-rich and, and the poor because the rich just kept chasing after whatever they could to make themselves richer and, and find more esteem and more prestige and become the kinds of people that others wanted to be. So this is the context of Corinth. And so here's this guy, Paul, who for a number of years, as he was planting these churches, kind of became increasingly less important looking to the outside world. Like Paul traveled around and, and, and didn't necessarily make a ton of money for himself. He didn't look like he was, you know, got it all together. He was frequently imprisoned or beaten for the gospel because he wasn't rich. He was trying to like make tents on the side in order to fund the ministry. And so although we know Paul now because he's written so much that it has lasted so long, in those days and for the people in, in, in Corinth, and in particular, those early Christians, they kind of thought like, man, Paul doesn't quite have it together. Like, when he comes to town and you see him, like, he's kind of, he kind of doesn't have, like, what's in. He's not looking too sharp. And so for Paul, he was writing to this group of people who had become so materialistic, thinking that this would be the thing, that he needed to reshape their minds and understanding about all these new things that they were chasing. And so with that in mind, Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, writes this, we grow weary, we, as in him, the Corinthians, and honestly us here 2,000 years later are not much different. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long, there's the longing language, we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Now, just important note here, um, in terms of the, that New Testament experience, um, they wouldn't have necessarily thought heavenly bodies as just a unique experience to post-death, but that there is actually the sense of of heaven coming to this earth, that Christ was actually starting something brand new with his resurrection that we could participate in as Christians even today. And so for, for Paul, he's thinking, man, if you can actually realize we're longing for this heavenly thing, but, but we're longing for it in the here and now. That's why when Jesus teaches people to pray, he says things like, um, you, you know, we want heaven to come on earth, um, sorry, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea that you know, heaven can come down to earth. And so, so he explains, God himself has prepared us. This is intentional. God's actually created us this way. He's prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. Guarantee being, you know, a sign of what's to come. There's, there's an expectation that something's going to happen. You know, you propose because there's going to be a wedding. So a guarantee with his Holy Spirit, what's to come? Another translator has actually translated this verse just a little bit differently. It helps, I think, kind of clear this one up. Um, the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we will never settle for less. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, sometimes trying, perhaps, to settle for less. Like... A, like we've got this instinct to want to be satisfied in these ways. And, and Paul's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes total sense. That's the little piece of heaven that the Holy Spirit that God has put inside of you that you want to see filled. And yet if you chase all of these other things, it's going to be so unsatisfactory to you. But, but it's there for a reason. It's actually meant to draw you back to how God has created you. And so it's like, okay, Paul, but what, what does that mean? What do we actually do 
for those of us as Jesus followers. And I, and I want to make a note here that this is kind of where the message divides a little bit. Because if you're watching or listening to this on a podcast, you know, months down the line, or, you know, even here in this room, and you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, man, we're super glad that you're here. Like, you're in the best possible space. You're always welcomed here. Um, This is a wonderful community. You should be here. But oftentimes when we talk about, um, in terms of our messages, we get to the spot where if you aren't following Jesus, um, there's, there's not much left in the rest of this message for you. Now, I'm going to say I would highly recommend choosing to give your life to Jesus and make him king of your life because then a lot of this stuff gets figured out. But if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for that commitment or I'm I'm not quite sure that that's who I want to be, to that I say, hey, we're, again, glad you're here. But in terms of finding satisfaction, my sense is that you're going to struggle with this for the rest of your life. And I don't have a lot of extra, like, encouraging words for that, like, Maybe buy the boat and it'll be fun for a little while. You know, maybe get the cottage and you'll get a little, you know, yahoo about it. But, but there's still an emptiness to all of that. And as much as you might try to put yourself into a bigger mission or vision for your life, until you realize this isn't fully satisfied, until you put your trust in Christ, well, we just don't have much more for you. So that's the dividing line. I hope that's okay. Uh, if not, Find me on social. We can have a conversation. That'd be fun. Okay, so Paul says, though, to explain to those that have followed Christ, um, he says this. He says, for Christ's love compels us, those that claim Christ is king, because we are convinced that one, that is Christ, he's died for all. He's died for all of us. And therefore, all died. A little bit confusing. And he died for all, that those who live, us, we should sock it away for retirement, and then get onto a beach and just pickle out until the end of the world. Like, that's the dream, right? You know, those of us that have made a commitment to Jesus a long time ago, and but now, man, if we could just live it up in Moncton and maybe, maybe check off the boxes on our bucket list and like, that's gonna be the best experience ever. You know, um, if we could just live for the moment, then we would experience all That is there for us. But Paul says, of course, something different. Very, very, very different. He says, no, you should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, this is challenging. This is challenging for any of us who are Christians because we make this decision to follow Christ and then then, then it's a moment, it kind of makes sense, but the rest of our lives, like how do you actually actually live that out? What does it mean to not live for myself? And, and like, I still need a car, like I need to buy a, a new car at some point. Is that evil? Is that wrong? And the answer is no. Like you, you, if you need to get around, then you need to get around. But there's this longing and desire inside of us. And to actually tease it out, I think Paul's going to explain what, he, what, what it really means for us. It means that anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ and claims Christ as their Lord has become a new person, has become a new creation, has become something brand new. That old life, it's gone, and a new life has begun. So we have this desire for all things new, and it's put there deep inside of our souls, and it it doesn't satisfy when we try to fill it with the new phone or the new car or the new kitchen because the new thing that we're desiring is actually this new life. And it's not a new decision. It's actually a new life. There's this experience of following after Christ and experiencing the new that he has for us each and every morning that he might do something miraculous through us. That's what we're desiring. And that's where we experience the satisfaction that we're looking for. 
So I don't know all of our situations. I'm sure if we could sit down and we could tease out like a little bit of a life plan for what it means to follow Jesus, we could come up with individual plans. But seeing as we can't do that, and, and that would be challenging um, even you know, before COVID, um, I want to give you two principles or two ideas that might spark something for any of us that are saying, hey, I kind of wrestle with this. Like at night before I go to sleep, like I dream about winning the lottery because I think that's going to satisfy me. You know, before I go to bed at night, I dream about getting that new thing because I think it's the thing that's going to satisfy me. If you're like, I kind of I do struggle with this from time to time. I want to give you an idea or a thought, something that might lead to the right action. And here's what I'm thinking. Now, it rhymes and it's kind of cheesy. There's no excuse. Um, when there's no satisfaction, make prayer your reaction. You might remember it, huh? All right, so uh, make prayer your reaction. When there's no satisfaction, make prayer your reaction. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. If God's actually placed this inside of us, if inside of our hearts is something that he's put on purpose, I wonder if in the moments where we're feeling like this kind of dissonance and this disconnection and we're feeling like unsatisfied, I wonder if we would actually turn and, and face the person who made us that way and ask a simple kind of question. What if we could, in prayer, turn to God who made us this way and invite him to speak into the specifics of our life? And so a number of years ago, I learned this, this very short prayer. I'm going to give it to you because um, I've often, you know, struggled with prayer. I, I struggle with how to pray, like what specifically should you say, and am I doing it the right way? And uh, that wasn't supposed to rhyme, but that's great. Um, it's, just, it's just rolling. Uh, so, so in terms of, of prayers, a number of years ago, I found uh, this communicator. His name's Andy Stanley. He's a pastor down in Atlanta. Phenomenal communicator. You should listen to him if you haven't already or read his books. Um, but he introduced me to this prayer, and I pray it all the time now because in lots of ways, it reframes my mind around what I think are the most important things for those of us, again, that are Jesus followers. And so if you would take a moment when there's no satisfaction, when you're feeling this urge, when you're feeling those uh, you know, empty desires, and you turn in prayer, and that's your first reaction, here's a prayer that you could pray that might help. Lord, give me eyes to see as you see. Lord, give me eyes to see as you see. Lord, give me eyes to see as you see. Because if you could see what God sees, you might be more inclined to do as he says. If you could see your circumstances the way that God actually sees your circumstances, if you could see your resources the way that he sees your resources, if you could see your, your living situation the way that he sees it, if you could see the people around you the way that he sees them, will easily be more inclined to do the things that he's actually calling us and, and, and setting us up to do. The best example of this is kids. And again, I have too many of them. But one of, but no, they're great. I love them. Uh, and so there's just a lot, and it's a lot. So the, the oldest, Riker, um, and they're so phenomenal. Riker uh, will ask, this was the other day, um, he says at uh, 6 a.m., uh, Dad, can I have that candy? And, uh, and like, God bless his grandparents that bought him a bucket of candy. Uh, but, 
but it sits there, and he knows it's there, and he wants to eat it when he wakes up. And so it's just the Lego blocks of pure sugar from Goji's. Thanks, Goji's, um, for ruining our lives. And so there's the, these, this candy, and he wants to eat it. And that becomes the conversation, well, when can I eat it? Can we put a time limit on how many can I eat? Am I allowed to have more? When do, do I get it, and do, can I do something to get it earlier? And this is the conversation that we get to have. Now, for Riker, he doesn't understand, because he's four, the grander narrative of what happens when you give an outrageous amount of sugar to a four-year-old at six in the morning. But I do because I'm his dad and I've given it to him before. And so um, I understand and can see the bigger narrative of what's going on in life and why I would say, no, in this moment, you can't have the candy or more often just ask your mom. And so for me, as a parent, I can see. If he could see as I see, he would understand the action that he needs to take in that moment or not take. And I think for us and our Heavenly Father, it's the same kind of interaction, right? God can see so much beyond our own perception and our own circumstance. And so if we could invite his wisdom to actually come into our day-to-day and invite that at the moments where we're struggling and when we're weak and when we're on discipline and when we're confused and say, Lord, could you give me eyes to see as you do in this moment that maybe then we'll be more inclined to be able to do the things that he's for sure invited us to do. And this is a prayer I need as much as I think we all need. This is something that, again, I pray all the time because I think we should pray it all the time. It changes in dramatic ways how I live my life. But if I experience the unsatisfaction that comes from just filling in whatever I can materialistically, I recognize and realize, man, I've given up the things that God actually wants to do through me. And so we're going to close with a, uh, a song here this morning. And, uh, and this song is, is a really powerful song. Now, I don't like um, singing in church, um, just as a, as a general thing. And I struggle with it all throughout my years, because I grew up here. I grew up, you know, we used to be in that other auditorium. And I can remember sitting in the balcony during the song time, thinking, okay, they only do three. I got two left. I got one left. And, and, and I struggled so much with it. I was trying to follow Jesus, but I, but I honestly didn't quite understand why we did the songs and the music. And, and it was a number of years later where I kind of started to build some of these connections that, that music is actually a profound way that God uses to speak to our hearts. That he uses the, the lyrics and the words in ways that, that my words would never actually connect with, with your situation. So even through you know, digital means and, and watching services you know, on your TV in your basement, you know, these kinds of songs can have profound effects on us. And there's lots of reasons why we sing, but one of them is that we can carry these truths with us into our week and into our situations that we're struggling with. That this week, you might actually find yourself singing this song in the shower. You might find yourself humming the tune on your drive. You might find yourself putting it into your Spotify playlist because it speaks to you in a profound kind of way. And And sometimes we sing these songs because we know that they're true. And sometimes we sing them because we need them to be true in our lives. And for any of us that have have wrestled with this unsatisfaction and this disappointment and and this desire to, man, to be filled with the new things that we think will fill us up. The verse of, of this song actually speaks directly to our heart. And so I've asked Mark to to sing this this first verse just to help encapsulate all that we've been talking about 
so far here this morning, that this is exactly what we humans wrestle with, whether it was 2,000 years ago or whether it's today. I searched the world Oh, but it couldn't fail me A man's empty praise Treasures that fade Are never enough Never enough It's true, isn't it? Like, we, we know this But this is the story of our culture. This is the story of our times. This is the story that we so often write. And it's hard because as as Jesus followers, it's not that we're immune to this kind of draw, but we have to be reminded that God has actually wired us and he's put these desires in us because they point to something dramatically different than what we often fill our hearts and lives with. And he puts that desire in us because he's got something more for us. And if we truly know that and we truly believe that, then the story we want to share with our world is that they do, you don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to be unsatisfied anymore. You don't have to chase those things anymore. You don't have to earn anymore. You don't have to buy anymore. You don't have to go after all the new things. Because what God is doing is dramatically different. And what he wants to do in our lives is so special. And this is the story that Jesus wants to write in our lives today. And you came along And you put me back together And every desire is now satisfied Here in your That's the story that God is writing in our hearts and in our lives. And if you're here today and you've lived a season of your life chasing after all the new things, and it's frustrating and it's disappointing, but, but today is the day or this week is the week where, where your perspective shifts, that's a good thing. That's a great thing because no matter what part of your life's journey you are in, now is the perfect time to turn to Jesus and let him remake and remodel the rest of our lives. That when we experience that dissatisfaction, that that is the moment that we're meant to turn and reorient things around him. And the incredible thing about the gospel and the incredible thing about Jesus is that he can take the experiences that you've had and the life that you lived and he can actually reform it and he can redeem it and he can turn it into something different. He can use those experiences and that dissatisfaction and he can propel it and make it something new in your world today. And so this song that we sing is important because it's not just the declaration that we need for our lives, but it's the reminder that we need to carry with us that when we fall and when we are disappointed and when we're unsatisfied, that we use that as leverage to point ourselves back to the King and allow Him to reframe and remodel everything that we have. And so friends, would you stand and sing with me that God is a God that today He will remake our lives and everything that we have.